Hello and welcome to the Hope and Anchor Community Church Podcast. Each week we'll bring you the latest preachings from our Sunday services. We hope that as you listen, you encounter God and you're encouraged to go deeper in your relationship with Him. Enjoy the message. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Actually, stay standing. I, I tried, you know. It's okay. It's good for your legs, you know, and and your stuff. We're going to go 1 Samuel 22, chapter 22, and we're going to go to verses 1 and 2, and then later on we just kind of continue with other texts that God has given us, but we're going to start with this. Are you okay with that? Awesome. God is good, eh? God is moving. So 1 Samuel 22 says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When they when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and they became their and he became their commander. And about four hundred men were with him. Father, as we remain standing. Father, all of us need you. None of us came to play church, to hear nice words. None of us came with the thoughts of entertainment. We came for your spirit to really anoint our spirit, to inhabit us once again. Bring us afresh your portion of today. Bring that bread that is your word, that is your person, so close, so near. That, Father, we cannot escape, but just to be blessed. And that, Father, as we go through these doors, Father, we ask to bring transformation as we allow you to transform us in these couple minutes that we get to gather every week. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave. This is the almighty David. David is actually a man that is epic. It's like, I mean, I don't know why Hollywood has taken so long to make movies out of David. I mean, if you really want to sell a box, if you really want to sell a ticket, you should be studying the life of David. I mean, we, we love The Rock and we love, you know, kind of like, what's the name of the guy from Fast and the Furious? Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. <laughs> That's the real name, but what's the... What's the, 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 the Toretto, you know, David is the original Toretto, you know, what I mean, he went in through so many things, you know, that, I mean, Hollywood doesn't have special effects enough to be able to portray the goodness of God and the ridiculous grace that God had over David. If we were to actually do movies, and I would wish that many of us here actually that have the talent would actually reach and push into an industry that has been full of lies and misconcepts that has not used their own gifts, the gifts that have been given by eternity to walk in righteousness in the right way. I would love to see some movies out of David. Just saying. Today coming, we're coming out of the, the theme, and I believe God wants us to talk about a hand in the dark. And as David was leaving Gath, he escaped to a cave. I don't know if you've been in a cave before. I grew up in an island, and there, we have famous caves, caves that um, they're not going to be 
good ideas to go into the night. You have different animals. In Puerto Rico, we have this type of insects, you know, that look like, like a scorpion and a spider at the same time. I mean, if you are looking for horror movies, go into a cave in Puerto Rico. I mean, we're on the island, you know. Before the, the colonials came, we were called the, the island of the, of the lamb. And then the colonials came and actually called us the land of John the Baptist. And then after that, that probably says a lot about us Puerto Ricans. And then after that, we were called the island of the enchantment. And I see how layers and layers go further from the truth. Some truths about you that you have believed, they might be a couple of dials away from the truth, from the island of the Lamb to the island of John the Baptist, the one that was before the Lamb. That doesn't sound that very bad in the London that we live today. But that from there, we were called the island of the enchantment, of witchcraft, essentially. There's a hand in the dark. I don't care who you are in this room. All of us have areas in our lives that are in the dark. You might want to think of yourself as the most spiritual person in this room, and that's okay. You're entitled to that thought. But the truth is, even if you are, even if God says you are, you still have areas that the light of Jesus has not dealt with. So all of us find ourselves in a very plain ground, having to worship a God that is all light, and in Him nothing, no deceit is found, no darkness is found in Him. But there's a hand in the dark. And Jesus is one of those shadows that David actually portrays. He's the one that came to enlighten the world. I am the light of the world. I am the truth. I am the true vine, he would say. But before Jesus came, Jesus didn't come without being invited. He allowed us to go through a process. And part of that process for Jesus' life was David. And David found himself in a cave. Jesus died in a cave. I don't know if you've been in Jerusalem, but the tomb is actually pretty much a cave. And the son of David that died in a cave, that was buried in a cave, actually came after three days to defeat everything that is warring against who you and I are. Everything. And David finds himself living something that we're living today. And I want to make a parallel between the things that he found in that cave and the feelings and the emotions that might have been in that cave and the things that we're living today. Are you ready for that? So in the Bible, and in, in general, in real life, a hand actually has a terminology. It has, it has a connotation. A hand is actually described as something that we reach with. Not only that, it's a hand, a hand in the sense of authority, of kingship, as we were talking last week. It is like where the hand of the king is, where the hand of the queen is. There's authority. So they have a scepter. They have a ring that they can seal things. They can ordain things. They can point at things. So a hand has a, a sense of reach and a sense of authority, but it also has a sense of influence. Everything I can touch, I can influence. If I'm not able to touch the life of someone, I cannot influence. I'm not being able to be touched by the life of someone. I cannot influence those people. I've been working with people on the streets for years because I was a person from the streets. 21 years ago, I was sleeping on a bench and God saved me from that. And now I know 
how not to faff about with them. They need limits, they need strength, they need love, but they need borders. And I love to be with the people of the streets, and the people of the streets love to be with me because they know what they're getting with me. They're not getting Christianese, they're getting love. And when I said no, they understand they cross a line and they back and they go back into place. And they're able to function. God wants us to function. God doesn't want us to go into religion. And because of that, God anointed David and had him in a journey that actually was so complete that he didn't allow him to go all the way to success in an elevator. He wanted him to fail and to feel the injustice of the world so he would have a heart for the people that were experiencing injustice. He allowed him to escape and be exiled so he will have a heart for the ones that were exiled. God allows us as Christians to go as his hand is upon our lives in the dark moments and in the dark areas of our lives. He allows us to go through those so we will have not only empathy because you don't need the Holy Spirit to empathize for anything. That's humanism. That's superficial. That's what the world sells. But we are drawn by a spirit to have love and compassion. True compassion comes from the life of God in us. I can say, I'm, I'm compassionate about this, but if you're not acting about it, and if you're not suffering slightly about it, I wanna defer with you. You have no compassion, you have good feelings. Compassion means, and the root of it is not con, is passion. And passion means an idea, that leads you to suffer for. How much are we suffering for things that we have compassion about? So this is the David that we see. A man that is being taken by God through a journey like you and me, in our belief, in our walk with God. And some theologians would say, David even backslided a little bit in that moment. I know almighty David, the one that threw the rock at the giant. In this moment, after all the promises and everything, David was complaining and talking about God in third person. You can go into the Psalms 57, 144, and you can see a David that was actually complaining. He was talking about God, and in the midst of that chapter, he changes into talking to God, because that's how we are. We complain in front of God like he's not listening, but we know he is. Then we start talking to God about who we are in that. Like that's how you catch his attention. Like we don't know how much he loves us. And then he starts remembering how God is. David, such an example. So it's the hand of God upon the life of David. And David is in a cave. And he's caved to that. So that means in the context of this is David, the man after God's heart. I don't want to bother you with things that you think you know, but think about it. If God talks about you like you're the person after his heart, it means that you have a heart that is designed exactly like his thoughts. Imagine what a pleasure, what a privilege it is to be described by God like that. And David was that guy. So it means that nothing that you and me can do can separate us from that love. But also, maybe we don't know how heaven sees us. Bless you. So if we don't know how heaven sees you, we cannot move how heaven designed us to move. So this is David, the man after God's heart. Second, he's the anointed king before 
The first point is with God. Second point, anointed king, that has to do with people. That has to do with recognition. You and me have been anointed by God to do things, specifics. But because of us not knowing God so clearly, so intimately, we cannot move how heaven knows us. In the Bible, it says that at the end, we will see through a darkened glass how we were known. So it means that we don't know who we are until we see him face to face. And every day, we get closer and closer and closer. So David, an exiled king, anointed, anointed in front of men, perceived by God as a man after his own heart. So we're talking about two dimensions, in heaven and in earth. And also, we're talking about injustice. David had done nothing to be in this position. He had just blessed the kingdom. He had just put his face and his life in the line, and even his reputation for the sake of his people. I don't know if you and me actually go that length with our relationship with God and how we relate to our understanding of people around us, or our neighborhoods, or our communities, our offices, maybe our schools, our unis, how we relate to people. Does that say that God knows our heart, that he has decided for us, that we have been anointed by God to be of influence in one of those, because that's the hand of God upon David, and it's the hand of God upon you. Do we reflect that we have a hand in the midst of our darkness, or we just focus on hiding our darkness? Do we focus on just exploring the promise and getting from it as much as we can, getting as many goodies from a service, from a message, or do we focus on getting strength and nutrients so we can go out and serve the people? Because that's the true gospel. It is not for us, it's for them. For God so loved the world that he gave. And if we're living for Christ, we have to exemplify the same thing. Is that same spirit that operate in Christ. It is the mind of Christ, like Paul would describe it, that operates in us. And that's how we move. Not only that, it was not only the anointed, it was not only David, the man after his God's heart. It was not only exiled and pushed away in injustice, but it was a man with a promise, like you and me. And when I say man, I mean humanity. As humans, we have been promised by God many things. The more we walk with God, the more we are even not only expecting, the more we're knowledgeable of how many promises live in our life and through our lives. That Our lives are not only an excuse. We're not only a step in the ladder. We are there to promote not only what has happened and not diluted or polluted or corrupted. We're there to deliver to a new generation. So that will carry several fights. David was exiled because he was fighting for something different. In his spirit, he wanted to worship. Anywhere he would go, that presence, that relationship with God will permeate, either through weapons, stones, or through music. He was a man that was so sensible and sensitive that he could be like a poet, like, like one of those that looks so, you know, kumbaya in the mountain you know he was at the back of the mountain doing some songs to God but he also was in the forefront killing people he was a man that could actually be like a priest and a man that could walk in the sensitive sides of our soul and he could describe them most of us if I ask us today how are you feeling you would say I don't know 
because we have been diluted and polluted. But the gospel came to wake us up. The blood of Christ is for us. The hand of God is upon us. So we will have the same clarity. So our minds are able to think in their capacity given by God. So David, a man of influence, a man with a hand, a man that had dominion, but still had not started experiencing that manifested outside, goes into a cave. And this is we're coming to the text. So that's the David we're looking at. A man that is in the dark. In the Bible, dark talks about confusion. It talks into the lack of knowledge, and it also talks about the vulnerability of our soul. Paul would say, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. That means you are in darkness. And our heart has areas, pockets, that describe it, describe it to us in our own minds, day in and day out, that are in the dark. But through Christ and our relationship with Him, day in and day out, we get encountered by that light that is called Christ. So we don't have religion, we have a relationship, a hand that is upon us, that leads us in the midst of our confusion, our lack of knowledge and our vulnerability. There's a hand in the dark. So David is navigating, he's navigating several things, he's calling, he's anointing, he has been called by God. He has not been called to be saved, I have not seen once that David did a prayer, said like, I, live, I give you my heart, oh Jesus, as my only love and savior. I don't see it once. And as Christians, we have come into the conclusion that if someone doesn't cry out to God in front of us like that, they're not saved. So arrogant of us. We don't know the hearts. And if you think that you have to gather just little prayers like that, for you to feel that you're doing a good job, I think you're looking at an incomplete version of the gospel. I didn't see a lot of people actually that prayed that prayer with Jesus and he was in front of them. And I'd rather stick to his, not to our version of gospel. David was actually anointed. That means given the capacity to perform what God has given for him to do. He had favor. And not only that, he had authority. But we also have to look at the circumstances and why David was actually in that cave. And we're still in the first, first verse. That's Saul. The king that was behind David, the one that was pushing out of the promised land. Remember the last time you thought, oh God, I thought you would have done all this by now? Good job. David was anointed and found by God and 15 years later, he found himself in the role that God had been seeing him through all those 15 years. And this is dead center into that. David is anointed and proclaimed king. And he's still in a cave. But the hand of God was in the dark. Was in the unseen. That's to speak unto all the areas in our life that we know God called us to do things and he has given us vision he has given us authority he has given us that anointing that pleasure to enjoy his favor and also to be able to respond to that but we don't see fruits there's a hand in the dark in those areas don't forget what god has spoken to you in the private in the intimate 
God, his hand in the dark. So David, David sees Saul being used and his enemies essentially. He describes them in Psalm 57. His enemies have surrounded him. There are more than enough. In every direction he finds his enemies, like you and me. In every direction we find temptations and we find our failures and we find things that should have been better in our history. We find things in our worldviews that are completely limited and incomplete and we wear out all the hopes as we walk because we find areas in our lives that are in the dark that we see a little soul and a little enemy and we might find ourselves in a season that we have no hopes we might find ourselves in areas that we hide them because we're Christians and we are experts we're Olympic at making God look good but without authority we want to say no we're in from glory to glory you know I'm in victory. Mm, I'm a Christian. I know better. With all the mess that we see around, we sometimes are tempted even to lie about the depth of our roots, the fruits on our branches, and the anointing on our foreheads, and how much we know the one that knows our hearts. We want to make God look good. That's in simple gibberish. And David doesn't succumb to that. He says, I need you. And so many have surrounded me. And his family knew about it. Don't you love family that actually agrees with you? <laughs> That's when they agree with you. You know, when they don't agree with you, you're like, ah, the Lord needs to help me. You know, I've been attacked. And David is actually receiving that treatment of God through the hand of his enemy because Saul and his enemies are being used by God to expose his heart and that's what enemies and situations and nowadays we don't have people carrying a sword against us you know and coming into caves to look for our life but but we have things and thoughts that come hunting for the promises and what God has that dictated for you as they were swords they come and trespass you they come and cut you out. They come and get you out of the game through thoughts and lies that feel more true than a sword, more daunting than having to hide in the dark. Hearts have fruits. And so his enemies, these situations, God allowed them in the life of this man that we can choose to think about this as a historic book or we can actually think about this as history being described for us not to fall in the same pits again. David demonstrating how you deal with your darkness. When you know you have a hand, you might complain, but you come under that hand again and again and again and again. Because David saw how the fruits of his hearts were coming out. And I say hearts because there were 400 with him. When we study this story, it's one of my favorite stories. I actually went with my wife and kids to Jerusalem a while ago, um, maybe two years and a half ago, something like that, two years and a bit. And, um, and we went to Adullam, to the cave itself. And we visited, and as we were going, we rented a car, you see? And that's what you do when you read the Bible. Um, you rent a car. You don't go with a touristic bus, you know what I mean? Thinking that they're gonna take you to that space, you know, and that's it. You wanna discover the thing. 
there's something about hearing a message and going and studying a message, right? So just compare it to that. So we went and we rented a car. And uh, Google Maps, God bless us, um, took us through a very, very narrow <laughs> um, piece of land. Everything flooded to our left. And there was a little, little hill to our right. And we had a little Golf Volkswagen, right? And uh, it was the cheapest car we can get. And it would take us from A to B. And that was cool. So we got it. And um, Google Earth said, that's Adilam, go around the mountain. And we said, like, great, there's a little fence open, let's do it. And as we were going, the way got narrower and narrower and narrower. And there was a little cliff and a landslide that was completely flooded into the side. So I played brave and I said, the Lord is with us. And I took the car halfway into the hill. And my kids are praying harder than I've seen them before in their lives. And the Lord was good with us because we're still here. And um, as we were going, Joanna was looking at me and she was laughing out of nerves, you know, and saying like, you're crazy. I love you. And the kids in the back, Gimo was having the time of his life, you know, testosterone is starting to kick in. He was younger and now he's used to it. But now before that, he didn't know what's going on. But it was testosterone like, yeah, let's do this. Born to be wild. And Mimi is like calculating how far we could fall because that's what Mimi does. You know what I mean? Like if it goes bad, how bad it's going to go. Um, different personalities. You know how it goes. And then we're in this edge, right? And we reach an area that is a bit wider. And I said, God, that was difficult, huh? And God said, you're not in Adilam left. You, ha you have to go up the mountain and go down, and this is not it. And I just kind of like um, played brave and I said, well, this is not it. We have to continue. And the kids were looking at me like, someone's going to come out of the bush and stab us in the neck. You know, something is going to happen. We're like in a very, very wide place full of mountains and holes. There's no one around. We're in a country where we don't understand anything and we're enjoying it, or at least one of us is. And um, there's nothing like being in the hand of God, right? And when we are there, we start counting about how many hours it will take to get dark because there's not a human or anything that looks like even like a path. Forget about streets, a path that we can go in our little golf Volkswagen, right? And remind ourselves that we paid the insurance because we didn't know if we were going to bring that, back, that thing back, you know what I mean? God bless us. And um, all of a sudden, we somehow got into this little street. And then we found, we saw a bus coming through and like, oh, God bless the bus. So the bus went through and, and went apart, but we felt that we needed to stop. There was a little store right there, like a little hut in the corner. And we said, hey, um, hi, <laughs> we're looking for Adilam. Have you, have you seen, you know, the cave, David, the Bible, ah, the men, oh, the brave people, Adilam. Yeah, yeah. You're Westerner, right? <laughs> it means that Westerners need more faith. We want to see the cave before we believe. That doesn't make us very brave. Don't worry about it. People from there know that we needed to see the thing to believe. Like a little bit of a Thomas moment, you know, I say. We want to see God showing us where he did it for others before we can believe that he can do it for us. So when we're there, you know, kind of digesting that one, 
we go into this little hill and there's only a parking lot and we don't see the cave. And we're like, this guy's wrong. Like he lied to us. But all of a sudden, we see little groups of people kind of coming around the little hill and Adilam, the cave, goes down. It's not a cave like in my country. That's why we cannot judge things how we have seen them in the past because we will be wrong most of the times. When you're coming into a new set, into a new story, you cannot judge it how you see it. You have to ask God because if not, you're blind as a bat. So we go in and we see that the, the cave was actually down. And that's why, I mean, I started looking at the Bible differently because that's why Saul never saw these people. Because the face, the mouth of the cave was down. So if you look from underneath in the hill, you cannot see it. And it might be that we cannot see most of the opportunities and only some that are faithful might see them because they go and find it. Because most of the situations that we are born to do and we were born to be unstoppable about, we don't see at plain sight. We need to follow God. We cannot judge the situation by the terrain because there might be more to the story, more to that terrain that we don't know. So David is in this cave that he couldn't judge the terrain. He needed to follow God. He's safe under the hand of God in this darkness, in this injustice, in this lack of proofs of his promises. And when you're there, you have to go down. What are the things that are making us go down? And you say, well, you're making a lot out of this story. If you go, a lot of things will make sense for your head. That from a distance, because maybe you're charging or maybe you're judging someone else's situation because of how you see the story, how you see their life. But you have so many gifts. Why are you struggling with this? And God reminds you that it's his grace that kept you. So you might not be judging the other one. That's why the world doesn't need a church that is judging their motivations. It's a church that is influenced and inspired by the breath of God to bring them out of their lack of understanding. How God keeps on bringing us out day in and day out. See, that's the gospel. That Jesus made his problem our ineptitude, our lack of knowledge, our lack of passion. Maybe our lack of understanding where we were standing. We were standing there, but we didn't know under what we were standing. And God needed to open our eyes. That's the context. So in First Chronicles 12, it enlightens us with what's going on inside of the cave. You want to know what's going on inside of the cave? This is just the beginning. So we're in a cave, and we're in the dark. And we're with 400 men. That's David, right? And maybe us. And then God starts describing for us years and years later who was in the mix. He starts talking about how many men, and he starts talking about this type of different men. But I love how he starts describing after he talks about names and areas and this and that and the other, he starts describing essentially how they are. And he says in verse 8, in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 8 says, Some Gadites defected to David at his stronghold, in the wilderness. It's kind of wild in there. Don't worry. You'll, you will go one day. And they were brave warriors, ready for battle and able to handle the shield and the spear. Their faces were the faces of lions. 
and they were as swift as gazelles. What a jump, isn't it? From lions to gazelles in the mountains. And then he goes on to say, hey, Ezer was the chief and Obadiah the second in command and Eliab the third and Imishmael and fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh, however was in command. And then says, these Gadiites in verse 14 for the sake of time says, were army commanders. The least was a match for a hundred. <laughs> That's how God brags about you. The least of you are a match for a hundred. And the greatest for a thousand. It was that who crossed the Jordan. It was they that who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it was overflowing. It's not like the Jordan when you go to Israel now. It's kind of quite small. I was completely disappointed. I was expecting a massive river. Ah, God opened the river. Ah, I was expecting like wild waters and this and that. It's just a trickle. In some areas, it's so small. You're like, ah, oh, I'm disappointed. Lord, is that the Lord I have? <laughs> it's just a little kind of like you like, oops, cross the Jordan. <laughs> Not joking. No joking. No joking. Just full facts. But these people were, they were brave warriors. And that talks about their character. But not only that, it talks about their training, their practice. They were ready for battle. That was their attitude. Is it that it could be said about us? That although we might be in the dark, we are brave warriors. We like the sweet Pinterest, Pantan Jesus Christianity that is presented to us. We want that soft, that everything is going to be fine, but we don't know how to bleed. We have lost that, not only socially as a generation. We prefer to be lied about than to be loved and confronted. We get offended by truth and comforted by lies. But David and his men were not like this. And I think that's why God wants to talk to us about this. We have to study. We have to dig deep into the character of God. God will never push forward a church that is easily offended. When the disciples were offended by the people that didn't believe in them, and they asked Jesus, should we call on fire from heaven and burn them down? I mean, at least they believe in the power of God. Well, they were walking with Jesus. They have seen a lot. Jesus said, no, 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 whoa, whoa, you didn't understand. See, they didn't want to suffer the lack of reputation. In the world that we live today, we worship reputation. We care too much. But people that are full of the Holy Spirit have learned that that's only something that I can wear on a Monday and lose on a Tuesday because they still have to wash it. Reputation comes and goes. And for us Christians, we should be trained to have none of it. I know this is not easy, happy, clappy Sunday, but that's the gospel, baby. See, Jesus had no reputation, although he was growing in favor in front of man and God. But the people that had religion started saying, no, he delivers people in the name of El Cebu. And Jesus had to correct them and say, hey, no kingdom. 
divided on itself can, you know, sustain itself. Jesus was not looking for their affirmation. Jesus was being the truth. And as Christians, we might be in a dark place. This might be something that we have to take back to our houses and say, hey, what is my adulam? Adulam actually means refuge. What am I in a refuge about? What areas in my life I still see that I'm in darkness and God has been protecting me and dealing with me in the dark and people might not see it. What areas of my life? I'm surrounded by people that are in distress, that are ashamed, that are in debt. What areas of my life have surrounded myself with others? See, in the case of David, he understood the hand that was upon him. And although he was weak like you and me, he understood the relationship that he had. And as a church, I believe that God, as a congregation, believe that God is wanting us to study the weaknesses of our hearts in the light of who he is. Understanding that he has us in his hand, that his hand is in the dark places of our lives, not only in the places that people applause about, in the areas that you say, hey, I made it. Mm, I look like Christ in this one. You will never. Don't worry about it. Don't try. Just be obedient. Step one, step two, until we see him face to face. God wants us to understand that he has created us brave. Even though the people outside thought we were people in debt and destituted. People that didn't have anything good to give. People that were exiled like David. People that were exactly like David felt. And God allowed him to go through those things. So he will have a heart for them. David. He's a shadow of the Christ that lives in us. He lives in us. His hand is upon the dark areas of our lives so we can, we're able to reach into that grace but have that Holy Spirit that brings us that long-suffering, a fruit of the Spirit that leads us into seeing others with that love, with that grace. That's the gospel. And we're talking about heads-on and we're talking about being anointed and actually using our gifts for what God wants. We were so hyped. And we like the idea. We like to be blessed. But we don't observe that with every blessing, there's a burden. David was seen by God as a man after his own heart. David was anointed king. Then started living a process of having his character formed. And as a church, this is the season that we're in. You might fake the funk and you will go around looking good. I will forget about your Christian Pinterest for a minute and start going in your knees because we need miracles in our character. We need miracles in our soul. We need miracles in our understanding. We need to see the hand that is in the dark. We need to see that savior that came to complete the mess that we're in so we will live outside of it. He completed it. He paid for it through his blood. And David is inside of this. So our hearts will bear fruits. And David had 400 men that were destituted and they were not loved. So they had all the rights, all the rights that you and me have to be burdened and to be upset with people and styles of personalities. Because sometimes we're not even, we're not even aggressing the person. We are upset with the personality. Because someone in my life had that type of nose. Mm, that person must be like that. 
or because someone else in my life had that type of, you know, jokes and stuff like that, we feel entitled to go against that person. But God is not wanting a church that is easily offended. He wants a church that is thick in skin, that can take a beating, that can take the situations that we're going in. God is asking us to understand that even though things have not been fair in areas of our life, or maybe right now, they're not going how we planned. We're not where we wanted to be at the age and moment that we're in. Maybe we don't know how much we wanted to do. Maybe we don't even know to have expectations. Maybe we don't know who we are and we'd explain by everyone around with their likes who we are. Maybe we were never, never properly hugged. There's people in this room that were never hugged until that, not that long ago. And they made a life through that. And now they want to feel near to people and they don't know how to have a conversation like that. That's difficult, right? There's a hand in the darkness with us. God is not scared of our dark areas. He's able not only to overcome it, but to release us into what is the promise. But he's going to use that for us. Don't worry about it. The context is that God is using that in the emotional, in the spiritual, in the life of David. And I want to plead with you. That might be what is happening with you and me. As we close, we see in John 15 how God, Jesus says, hey, you know what? I'm divine. And it's a simple place. Before we go there, I don't want to leave this. David was actually kind of there with the Benjamites, the people that were called to be of a promise of a covenant. So they were not only the sad people, there were also others that were in that cave because they didn't belong to the way things were running around, the Benjamites. And also, it was with some of Judah, the ones of the house of praise, the ones that would bring that praise, that worship back. And they were in that stronghold. And because of that, because of that mix of people, they with inside of God, asked everyone that was with them. And he even asked it more to the Christians, Jewish, than from the ones of other nations. He said, every time one of them will come into the cave and they will gather in numbers, he will ask one question that I believe God is asking us. After this, we go to John 15, we close. Are you with me? He asked one question. Did you come to help? And is your heart with me? To which they answer. We are yours, David. And we are with you, son of Jesse. Success and success to you. And success to those who help you. For your God will help you. None of us is David, and that's easy to see. But I believe this promise stays still in front of us for us to grab. As a congregation, as individuals, as we walk day in and day out, 
through the city, through the things that God is putting in front of us. We surround ourselves with people all the time. Either we want it or we don't. And I'm talking not about getting into the tube or into the bus. Come on. I'm talking about relationships that we hold as there. What of this came to help the promises and the steps of God for you? And where is the heart of the person that you are in relationship with? Maybe your neighbor. And maybe they don't get the full gospel. Maybe they don't understand where they're standing. But there's some great conversations going on. We have to make sure that that power of the gospel crosses this line. That they understand that the nearness, the compassion, the suffering of Christ through you and your character, the character of Christ in you, through that, that is the mind of Christ in you, your ways of thinking about your neighbor or maybe your colleague is in such a way that they will understand that there's a kingdom that is calling them. There's a presence, there's a hand that is in the midst of their situations. They might not know. The people from Moab came and joined David. The people from Mizpath, the Washington Tower, you can translate that name as, may the Lord watch between you and me. Maybe you cover us. As we are there, as we are having relationships in this city, in this season, through online, some of you guys have people that you care dearly, and you only establish a relationship online. Maybe God has brought you to that relationship, has surrounded you with those relationships for you to be that place where God watches over them, of encouragement, of knowing that even though the hand that has kept you while you were in your heart, in, you, in, in your dark places in your heart, will keep them as they know him. And Jesus finished by saying, in John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am, and my father is. And he cuts off every branch in me, not some, you and me. That it bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he also, he also cuts, he prunes. Why? So that it will be even more fruitful. You are, underline that, already clean. Because of the word. You are because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain. You are because of the word. Remain in me. As I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Don't detach yourself from the rest of the body of Christ. It must be. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am divine, and you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Remain under the hand that is with you. You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my works remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is for my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, followers of me, the ones that follow my example. And the Father has loved me, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain. You are, because of me, remain. Remain. Remain in my love if you keep my commands, not if you feel good about what you're living, not if the world accepts your faith, not if you have arguments to defend God, even not if you don't doubt God, but still say, God, would you help me in my own belief? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in His love. So I have told you this, so that may your joy, my joy will be in you and that your joy will be made complete. I think there's a big, there's a big gap that only His presence can cover in us and that's our darkness. And I believe this comes in to actually kind of reach out and put in us the knowledge and the certainty, the hope that his hand is upon our dark seasons. And now in Europe is the darkest season of the year. We're approaching the darkest day. The day starts later and night starts earlier. And there are areas in our life that might feel the same way. You might be struggling with lack of hope, with insurrection, with frustrations. You might be looking at the areas in your life that you have not seen him move. Maybe you're, you're looking at your finances, thinking how I'm gonna make it until the end of the year, and now they say there's a recession. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But God says, Show me the darkness. I will not only shelter you, but my hand will be upon you. If you remain in me, as I remain in the Father, I will lead you to have fruits. Yeah, I will prune you. I will get rid of this. His hand is upon us. Every area in our lives that gave fruits in the last season, this is the time to prune. This is in the natural, but also in the spiritual the areas in our life that this season will start to get pruned. Let's not be scared. Let's not hide them. We are sheltered by him. His hand is upon us. Let's look for God. Let's look for people that have been walking with God before us. Let's not hide them. Let's show them into the light. God has given us different strengths. God has empowered us with a destiny. That's not for us to reach for our own gain. That's for us to understand who he made us to be. And as we finish, 
and he prunes our hearts left and right, do not be afraid. Just remain. Don't leave the faith for the season. Christmas is just not about that. It's not about remembering the kid in the manger, the kid grew up and died in the cross. It's not about remembering what you have done through the year and say, God, thank you for that. Because even in that thankfulness, you can use it as a smoke cloud. It's a time to invest in that cave for our character, for our hearts to be pruned, to being exposed by the injustice and the things that didn't come in the season that we thought. It is for God to come and show us, to prepare us to reign as he was preparing David, as he's preparing the church. We were talking about the kingdoms of this world last week. And God cannot have kings and queens that are easily offended, that are so fragile that they cannot debate with the world what is the glory to come. He needs kings and queens that are strong in their anointing, that are able to function in the different spheres of society on what God has given them. It doesn't matter what people God surrounds us with. They could be distressed, oppressed, depressed. It could be without hope, but guiding us is the hope of glory. I believe this is a challenge to see a hand that is stronger than us. While others will want to justify themselves, we don't need to succumb to that temptation. We can say, let God talk about me. Let me seek his heart. Let me abide. As we stand, you join me in your feet something that has been in my heart very strongly is that sometimes we use our salvation as a, as a walking stick without knowing what it really means. We think that if we have made a prayer, and don't get me wrong, if you're not saved, you should give your life to Jesus. But we will be unfair with you if we don't explain to you that it doesn't get easier. You become an enemy of the state. You become an enemy of your last temptations. And you will need his glory, his strength to actually walk it through. This is a place like that cave. All of us have distress. All of, all of us have things that we still have in the dark. That we don't see hope, but we know a Christ that brings that hope. We will be lying to the world if we don't actually accept that. Because they're not worse than we are and we're not better than them. But there's a hand that we know is with us. Saved doesn't mean remain. Making a, a prayer saying, Lord, I want to receive you in my heart, doesn't mean the same as remaining in him. And we have to break that illusion bubble. Enough is enough. Yes, we are saved, but we have been called to remain. Jesus didn't ask us to get saved. He's the Savior. He was doing that. We just have to accept it. But what he did call us was to remain. So we will bear fruit, and he could prune us and get us closer 
so he could prune us again and bear more fruit so we would get stronger. And this season, let that pruning hand get into the dark. Not only to hold you and comfort you, so you can comfort others with the same comfort you have received, but let that hand cut, divide, so it can bring new life and more fruits. This is the season. This is the season. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to share how God is speaking to you through this message, let us know on any of our social media platforms. Make sure to visit our website, hopeandanger.org, for more information on who we are as a church and to find out how you can be part of the Hope and Anchor family. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.